is unending. His love is unconditional. He is a good, good father.
promises, God, that you say, Lord, that you will never leave us or forsake us, God. And so we just receive that, God, and we want to celebrate that. We want to celebrate your truth and your authenticity, God. I thank you so much, Lord, that you see us for who you are, Lord, not for our mistakes or not for who we want to be, Lord, but you see our hearts and um, you embrace and love us, God. We thank you so much for the blood of Jesus that washes away our sin, God, so that we can be in a relationship with you as it's meant to be, Lord. And God, I thank you so much for the hopes and desires that we have in our dream, Lord, that it's not a lost cause, God, even though there's so much brokenness in the present, Lord, we put our hope in you, God. Our hope will not be shaken because you keep your promises, you're faithful, and you're coming again. Amen. Well, good morning, good morning, uh, Burlington Christian Church, family on Zoom, you guys are on the internet watching in, and family and friends, hope you guys are doing great. It's been a little while, I was out of town last uh, week, to Louisville, Kentucky. Remember, stay safe, wear your mask, keep the hands clean, all those things that we need to be doing to keep ourselves from getting sick. Okay, uh, every day we're hearing about somebody else dying of this virus. So keep yourself clean, keep others safe, do it for yourself, do it for the community, do it for your neighbors. Just let's do our best to all get through this quickly. A couple things I want to let you know about. We have t-shirts that say life is good and we're trying to help out a good friend of ours, Phil Laughlin, who is dealing and fighting and battling against cancer. And uh, these are going to help uh, buying one of these shirts is going to help his cause and help him to uh, take care of expenses that are, are crazy expenses when you're dealing with cancer and going back and forth to the hospital and all those things. So this saying life is good sums up Phil really well. He is a uh, happy guy, smiling all the time, very friendly. And uh, to him, life is good and God is great. And uh, so he is full of faith and doing great mentally and spiritually but his body is fighting so if you want to help out with that that'd be awesome also on wednesday night beginning this next wednesday we're going to go live with our bible study we're also on zoom as we have been uh but if you want to come and be a part of the bible study here at the fellowship hall we'd love to have you we're going to jump into second thessalonians chapter one we just finished First Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to move right into the second book that Paul writes to them and uh, dig into that. Here's where we're at, though, when the going gets tough. We're talking about this awesome theme, people, biblical people who faced trials and struggles and, and all kinds of stuff that, that life threw at them, that the devil threw at them, that God tested them in. Uh, all those things are real and, and, uh, and possible for all of us, that that some things, the world is just life on the planet. Other things the devil is attacking and other things God is testing, trying to improve our faith, helping us grow up in him. But some people responded uh, with great faith and courage and they stood tall and others kind of crashed and burned. And so we're looking at some of these people and uh, our springboard passage is out of James where James talks about considering it pure joy whenever you face these trials of many kinds. Right, And he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance will finish its work so that you may become mature, complete, not lacking anything. And uh, that's the attitude that we have as a believer, that uh, we're going we're gonna to face it head on. We're going to do it with 
complete joy. Consider it joy that we get to be in a battle, whatever is coming our way, and that God is working with us, and we look forward to seeing what God is going to do through us. But he's taking us through the trial, through the testing, through the calamity, and he's going to produce, produce is the word, perseverance, so that we become mature and complete not lacking anything and so that's what's happening we're in the gospel of matthew today we're in chapter 17 another person who faced a trial and struggle in his life and how he dealt with this in relationship to jesus and so let's dig into this this is a a man that we find there he's a father and he has a son and uh his son is struggling with health issues and some mental issues and even more intense than that, this is a man or a dad with no name. The Bible doesn't name this father. And he's got a son who has a very big problem. And we think this is a small boy, not an older man as his son, but a, but a boy, a, a child almost. And so we're going to look at this. Matthew 17, beginning in verse 14. So... Let's dig in together and, uh, and really uh, kind of see what's going on here and how this guy, how this father, this dad, deals with the trial that comes his way. Okay, here you go. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus. This is Jesus and his disciples, at least some of them, come to the crowd in this crowd. And uh, this man approaches Jesus and he knelt before Jesus and he says this, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire and into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Jesus says in verse 17 here, you unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Now, just for a minute, if you, if you look into the, 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 the harmony of the Gospels, what you find is uh, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about this instance, this, this situation, right? They all talk about this this man who brings his boy to Jesus first to the disciples then to Jesus and kind of what happens Mark's is the longest we just read Matthew's which is one of the shorters and Luke is also fairly short but they if you look at those three passages you'll get a fuller idea of what's going on here let me just touch on a couple things so that we get a better picture from all three Gospels, okay? Uh, we just read Matthews, and uh, Matthew says he's a lunatic, or he has uh, epilepsy, or he, he has these seizures. He says he has these seizures and is suffering greatly, and, he, and, and what these seizures cause him to do. They cause him to fall into the fire. They cause him to fall into water. It's like they're trying to kill this young boy. So right away we realize it's more than just epilepsy where he falls on the ground and starts shaking. These, <clears throat> these convulsions or this attack is actually trying to destroy the boy. In fact, we know this because Mark says, 
my son is possessed with a spirit. Mark uses the term possessed with a spirit, which makes him mute. He's not able to talk. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and he stiffens out. That's how Mark describes this. Luke describes it like this. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams and it throws him into convulsions with foaming of the mouth as and as it mauls him, it scarcely leaves him. That's some pretty heavy duty description of what is going on in the life of this boy. I mean, this is a child. This is just a boy. Mark goes on to say a few more things. He says, I brought the boy uh, to him, and when, when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into convulsions and falling to the ground. He began rolling about and foaming at the mouth. So as soon as the boy came into the presence of Jesus, this spirit within the boy caused this boy to go into these convulsions. Uh, Luke says it like this, and while he was still approaching the demon, uh, Luke calls it a demon, dashes him to the ground and threw him into convulsions. And so there's a lot going on here. Um, and, 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 and how the man responds, Mark really gives us a lot more information. You're going to want to read those. But um, let's, let's kind of dig into this a little bit. And here's what's going on. There, there's this crowd. There's a crowd of people as the disciples come up to the crowd or begin to move into the crowd of this city or wherever they're at. And in the crowd, there's a man, right? There's a man. And uh, the man comes to Jesus in the midst of the crowd. This is a man with no name. And it says in verse 14, here's what it said, when, the, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and he knelt before him and he said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures, seizures, and he is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire and into the water. So first of all, we got to notice a couple things. Notice the man's problem, okay? The man has a problem and the problem is he's got a son and his son is in trouble. We would call this, in our day, most of the time, we would, we would label this a mental illness, right? Or, or some kind of physical illness if it's seizure related, but, but we would call this some kind of, uh, not to call, label it crazy, but we would just say, this person has a mental illness. He has seizures, he suffers greatly, he falls into the water and, and, and into the fire, and, and then even more severe, here's what the Gospels describe, I just read some of that to you, is he foams at the mouth, okay, there's more going on here than just a mental illness, he, uh, he it controls him, it takes over his body, it grinds his teeth, it stiffens his body, and it mauls him. Whatever that might look like, this thing is like attacking this boy. Like, like, what could be worse for a parent or a father or a mother than to have your child going through some kind of sickness or health issue like this? I mean, what could be worse on the planet than to watch your child struggle with a health issue? That's got to be the most horrible thing that we could ever face as a parent. And if you've had to do that, 
you understand what this father is probably going through as he watched, watches this happen to his son and the pain and the hurt that a parent would have as this happens. This man has got a problem and the problem is happening to his son. That's a horrible situation. Note then the man's posture. Okay, he's got a problem and now he has a posture. Jesus is coming with the disciples through the crowd. The man sees Jesus and the man comes up to Jesus in the middle of this crowd. He doesn't care what the people think. He loves his son so much. And here's what he does. He comes to Jesus. He kneels before Jesus and he cries out to Jesus for mercy. In fact, one of the gospel writers says he cries out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. Please do something for my child. If anyone can do anything, Jesus, it's you. And so there arises a side issue at this moment. And here's what it is. Verse 16, he says to Jesus, I brought my son, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. This is a side issue, okay? The main issue is the father, the son, and Jesus, and the boys possessed. And, and the side issue is that he brought this boy to Jesus' disciples. Now, what's going on here prior to this is Jesus sent out his disciples to preach and teach and to heal and to do all these things. He empowered his, his disciples, these apostle guys, to do supernatural miracles in the name of Jesus as a sign to the world that God has sent his only son and his son has chosen 12 men and, and, God, and Jesus is beginning to impact the world for the power of God and that the father loves his people that he made in his image. And so the transfiguration is where we believe Jesus and three of his disciples are coming down this hill you know, this mountain from the transfiguration as they approached the crowd in this town and the other disciples that didn't go to the transfiguration, the other nine, they are going around doing these miracles. And, and it seems like it's those nine that this father brought his boy to and those nine could not pull it out. They could not make it happen. Okay, so... At some point earlier than this encounter with Jesus, there was an attempt to uh, of an exorcism of the spirit in this boy, and it went it went by the way of failure. It didn't happen. They were unable to do it. The disciples could not heal the boy, and so the result of this now is that Jesus gets frustrated. I know we don't think. Jesus got frustrated, and he didn't get frustrated much, but he's frustrated. He is disappointed that they are not further along in their faith. And this isn't the first time, but he's disappointed that his apostles, that he's chosen, that he's going to pass a baton on, and he's going to go back to heaven, and they're going to reach the world with the gospel. They aren't further along. That's a, that's a good note for you and me, right? Like, how long have you been a Christian? How long have you been following Jesus? Are you where you ought to be? Are you satisfied to stay at, at ground zero? 
Or are you striving to move forward in your faith with the Lord and be more faithful than you, than you were yesterday? To be more committed than you were yesterday? To be more on fire for the things of God than you were yesterday? How are you progressing in your faith? These guys, according to Jesus, he's disappointed that they are not further along. And look what Jesus says, verse 17. You are unbelieving and perverse generations. These seem very firm words. These are very firm words. These are a little bit harsh and strong. He says, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Now you look at this and you think, okay, who is Jesus talking to? Who is he referring to when he says, you unbelieving and perverse generation? Perhaps it's the crowd that hasn't accepted who he is, right? Maybe it's the religious leaders that continue to rebel and refuse, right, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and continue to confront Jesus. Maybe this is a message to them as well. For sure, this is to the disciples, this is, a, this is a statement to his disciples for their lack of faith. This is God looking at the human race on a whole and shaking his head. Wondering why, wondering when, perhaps even thinking from Adam to Abraham to Moses, right, to Jacob and the prophets and, and even now the apostles. They're still just not getting it. We continue to have this moment of great faith and then we fall away and we, we wander from God and we fall back into sin and then we cry out to God and we, he heals us. And we just, through, through all of time, there's been this cycle of, of, of faithfulness to fallen, to sinfulness, to rebellion, to, to coming to our senses and crying back out to God. And it just happens over and over and again. And maybe Jesus is thinking, when will you get it? When will you understand my love for you? When will you understand the power that is available to you? And when will you stay there and live in that moment? Like stay in the power of God. Surely Jesus, he's not just disappointed in them, but, but the lack of faith throughout generations is part of what Jesus is saying when he says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. Because, let me tell you why, because God does get disappointed. I know we think, uh, we think that God is always like happy, happy, lovey, lovey. He's the God of love. That's true. All those things are true. And he does love us and he has compassion and he's, he's for us. And all those things are right and true about God. But God also has this emotion of disappointment where he looks at what's going on and he's not thrilled with the way we're responding to him. It's all through the scriptures. You can, you can read about it. In fact, this phrase, unbelieving and perverse generation, has been, has been said multiple times, all the way dating back to Exodus. Moses used these very similar words in describing the people back then, and it was said throughout the prophets and all through time. So we, we see this sense of disappointment on the heart of God for us as people, that we are not getting it that we are not living to please God. In fact, in Genesis chapter 6, remember Adam and Eve and then Noah? The scripture says in Genesis 6, 
He was grieved. God was grieved that he even made mankind. Now, that is ultimate disappointment. I have never said to one of my kids that I was sorry they were ever born. You know, we would never say that to our kids. We love our kids, right? Love our kids, right, Rochelle and John and Kay and Nat? Love you guys. Love our grandkids. We love them. We would never say, oh, I wish you were never born. I mean, that would be the most horrible thing we could ever say. How, how not nice is that, right? But God looks at the creation back in Adam's time, and he's sorry that he made us because of the rebellion that we continually live in. That is ultimate disappointment. It isn't that God loves us. It's that he keeps seeing that we don't love him. We're not loving him back. We're not appreciating what he does for us. When we rebel against him and we go our own way, we ignore him and we act like he doesn't exist. And so this is what disappoints God. And, and so this ought to urge you and me, you know, this sense of understanding that God gets disappointed in us when we don't faithfully follow him. It ought to urge us to be more faithful, not to earn anything, but to please him as our father. For all he's done for us that we want to just live and honor him and so what happens is he just gets done saying you perverse and corrupt generation how long shall i be with you then he says bring the boy here to me bring the boy here okay now we're going to get back to the boy and jesus rebukes the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment Notice Mark and Luke say that the demon recognized Jesus as the father was bringing the boy to Jesus. The demon in the boy recognized Jesus and it, 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 it dashed the boy to the ground, right? It dashed him to the ground, whatever that might look like, just convulsed him. It, it went crazy in the boy in the presence of Jesus. How incredible is that? Demon possession, right? This is, this is wild. This is bizarre. It's like... We don't talk about this stuff much because it's, it's so out there. It's like hard to put a finger on what exactly is going on and what exactly is happening and when is it a demon and when is it not a demon. In our day, you know, psychologists and, and psychotherapists would have come together and brought this boy in and, and they would have come up with some diagnosis for this boy. It would have been like this mile-long diagnosis that dated back to, to potty training. Like somehow when this kid was potty trained, it wasn't done correctly and now he's screwed up today and this is why he's acting in this way. He's acting out. That's what our psychologists and medical mental people would have done. That's what we do. We don't call it demon possession. That's kind of freaky, right? It's too scary to say something like that. This is part of the human dilemma. And what Jesus is dealing with with his father that brings his boy to Jesus is part of sin and the effect of sin on the earth. When we allow evil in, evil takes over. That's what happens. You let evil come into your life. You let it come into your home and it will take over everything. It's like a bad weed in your garden. And it's like a vine that will just keep growing. It doesn't stop. It will take over everything. That's what's going on here. Everyone is looking for something or someone to blame in our day. It's the parents' fault, right? It's, it's society's fault. It's our history's fault. 
There's always got to be something to point to and say, this is why this is happening. And instead of dealing with the problem and finding a solution that makes life better for everyone, including the person dealing with the issue, what we do is we chase rabbits down holes, right? Looking for someone to blame or something to blame. And we spin our wheels looking at the symptoms rather than the problem. And what happens in this story is Jesus, he goes right to the source of the issue and he says, a demon is causing this. In other words, Satan is behind this. Jesus nails it right on the head. He doesn't beat around a bush. He doesn't blame it on the kid's past or the kid's parents or the society or the tribe or the clan that he grew up in. He says a demon is causing this evil. Now you think about our world and all the things that are going on that are not good, that are evil, that are wrong, and the solution, the, 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 the answer is very simple. Satan is behind the evil. He is the one that causes evil and, and confusion and corruption and lies and murder and hate. All these things that are going on, Satan is the cause behind him. And of course, you know, he is Jesus. Jesus knows what's going on with the boy because Jesus sees things that we'll never see. He understands what's going on, and we don't have that ability to get that quite like that. We kind of shy away from this kind of conclusion. Like, we would never say that kid is demon-possessed. But, you know, you look around at what people have done in this world, and, and you could see they are they were demon-possessed. There is nothing but evil going on. It's, it's kind of freaky, and it's scary, and it's a mystery, and it's spiritually unknown right and so we kind of shy away from it we hardly ever touch on it we don't talk about it even though we see it in the scripture and and it's in our passage today so we have to kind of hang out here for a little bit because it's here and it's real and it's included in this passage and Jesus deals with it and we deal with it in the world and so we got to talk about it and let me say as we talk about this for a minute that no every seizure and every depression and every mental illness is not demon possession okay it's not it's not they're not all demons and people every act of this stuff so so let me just say that up front but it may be right and perhaps more than we think or more than we're willing to admit. We don't want to call it that because that sounds really bad. But that may be exactly what it is. Could you imagine being the father of this boy? Now, the suspicion was he had an evil spirit. There, there, there could be this issue. But when Jesus, when Jesus points out this demon is in this boy, that's it. He now knows for sure his son has got a demon living in him. You've got to wonder, how in the world did that thing get there? Who let that into his, this boy? Why, why is my boy demon-possessed? Like, what did he do? Like, there's all kinds of questions that got to pop in your mind. But the bottom line is Satan is evil, and he can do a lot of things, and he can control a lot of people. And that's what I want to talk about here for a minute. Jesus dealt with demons, okay? Let me, let me touch on a few things. At least a dozen times in the scripture, we see Jesus dealing with demon possession. Check it out. 
He personally was tempted by Satan in Matthew 4. Remember? Satan took him on the mountain. Satan turned the rocks into bread. Remember? Satan tempted Jesus. He was trying to control Jesus. Satan wanted to possess Jesus himself. A demon in the synagogue in Mark 1. A demon is cast into the, the pigs. Remember that? Here we go. The pigs in, um, in uh, Matthew no, and yeah, Matthew 8, Jesus is driving out demons, and he is being accused of doing it by Beelzebub in Matthew 12. In Luke 4, Jesus rebukes the demons. In, in the Greek, there was a Greek woman's daughter who Jesus came in contact with who was demon-possessed. Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' followers, had seven demons living in her. Jesus said to Peter that Satan desires to sift you like wheat. Satan wanted to take control of Peter like he did take control of Judas, right? And Jesus sent out the 12 with authority to, to, uh, to have power over the demons in Luke 9. In fact, in, Ma in Mark, chapter, Mark chapter 16, at the end of Mark's gospel, Jesus says this. He said to them, go into all the world. This is the Great Commission, Matthew 28 and Mark uh, Mark 16, Jesus says, Go into all the world, preach the gospel of all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, right? Pretty clear. But whoever does not believe will be what? Condemned. Black and white. You either believe in Jesus and you're saved, right? Or you ignore Jesus and you are going to be condemned because your sin remains. That's what he says. And these signs, check it out, these signs will accompany those who what? Believe these signs in some ways, not everybody, but these are signs among the church on the earth, among believers on the planet that will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on the sick people, and they will get well and here and here jesus casts out the demon from the boy right jesus took demonic possession very seriously and so should you and i right so should we see our battle our battle is not fleshly it's not against flesh and blood flesh and blood are the instruments that evil uses Flesh and blood and physical things are the tools that evil uses to, to lure people in, to gain control of people. They use these things to get into the hearts of people. Demons, demons are fallen angels, and along with Satan, are in rebellion against God. In fact, it's estimated that a third of the angels fell with Satan when he was tossed out of heaven. A third of the angels, now that's... That's got to be a lot, a lot of angels, okay? Because we know there's a lot more angels ministering to God's people and, and doing the work of Jesus and are going to be a part of that second coming and, and heaven and all that goes on. And so it's estimated a third of the angels fell from heaven with Satan and they are free to roam around the earth for now. They are spiritual forces in heavenly places. They are what we battle against in the spirit realm. Right? The things of the flesh are lures. They're bait. The spiritual deception, that's where it's leading. Spiritual deception and then eventually spiritual captivity. 
the devil slowly lures you away and controls you, takes over you. Demons have several names, evil spirits, lying spirits, angels of Satan. In the Bible, we see these words, Molech in the Old Testament was the worship of Satan, Molech. We see the word legion in the New Testament where it means many. And then we see the word Abaddon or Apollyon in the book of Revelations referring to uh, evil spirits or demons, Satan. Demons possess people and cause them to do bizarre things out of the ordinary and at times supernatural things. Demons are able to do miracles. They're able to possess people. They're able to deceive, cause confusion, tempt us to sin, cause sickness and disease, emotional torment, erratic movement, pain, distress. They control the human body and they possess objects and they can possess animals. Demons are not little red men with horns and tails and pitchforks. They take on many forms. They are fallen angels, spiritual beings, up to a third possibly of God's angels that fell. They can take on a physical form. They can appear as beautiful and even holy like an angel of light. They are very deceptive in that way, and they can appear as servants of righteousness. Demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and they tremble at Jesus, which is what is going on in this little boy's life as that demon sees Jesus and doesn't know what to do and causes who he's possessed to tremble and to convulse and to fall, be dashed to the ground. And the thing about demons is this. They know that their time is short. They know that the end is just around the corner for them. Demon possession is powerful and it's deeply evil. And we associate extreme evil like this in people that have lived on this planet like Adolf Hitler and Ted Bundy and Charles Manson and Saddam Hussein and Bin Laden and Joseph Stalin. But there are so many others that demon possession has overcome and taken control of. But anybody can be a target, even, even this little boy. And anybody can be possessed by a demon. And so the disciples come to Jesus after this has happened, he's cast the demon out of the boy. The disciples come to Jesus in private, and they ask him, why couldn't we drive out that demon? We tried, but we couldn't do it. Great question, but you better brace yourself for the answer. Because Jesus says, because you have so little faith. That's disappointment. You have so little faith. Check out how little it is. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, if, you're, if your faith is just as small as a mustard seed, which is tiny, you probably could have pulled this off, but your faith is smaller than that. It's not even there yet. You would say to this mountain, move, and it would, and it would move. And, and nothing, he says, nothing would be impossible for you. When Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, he was talking about the spirit realm. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Eternal truth in spiritual ways. He wasn't talking about accomplishing things physically. We can do that. 
But when it comes to the spirit realm, the realm that really matters, the eternal realm of life and death and eternity, you can do nothing without Jesus. Whether it's fighting against evil, you can do nothing without Jesus. Whether it's coming back into a relationship with God, you can do nothing without Jesus. Jesus is the answer for your deepest needs, for your greatest needs in life. It's not about it's not about what we can accomplish physically or the money we can make or the job we can get or the house we can build. That means nothing. All of that is going to perish. When it comes to the things that are most important, it is only going to happen in Jesus. That's what he meant. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus is about, is the only answer. It's about walking by faith, right? Not by sight. Our faith in Jesus is the answer. And what we do is this. We put on the full armor of God. That's what we do. And when, when we do that, we take our stand. We take our stand against the systems and the evil of the world and the things that are coming against the church and the things that are coming against uh, godly people and against what's right and what's wrong and about God being a part of our lives. We take our stand. We do not retreat. We do not stay silent. We take our stand. That's what that means. We put on the full armor of God and we take our stand and it's by faith alone. We also, what we do is we remember that the battle is against spiritual forces of darkness in, in heavenly places. It's not physical. You know, Jesus said two things in his ministry as he walked on the earth. And we're going to wrap this up. Two things that we must stand on. Number one, it's by faith alone. Only by faith in Jesus can we battle the demons or the evil in this world. We live by faith and not by sight. And the second thing is this. Jesus said, it is written. In other words, the word of God, the living, the living word of God, the living word of God, Jesus himself is the one who can battle and overcome evil. And our connection to Jesus is what will give us the victory. See, this man, this man with no name, he sets a pattern for you and me today. What happens is this, he comes, he kneels, and he cries out to Jesus. And Jesus does the rest. See, Jesus does the rest. This man can do nothing, but Jesus can do anything. And with Jesus in your life, working in and around you, nothing will be impossible for you with Jesus for the glory of God, not for the selfish glory of ourselves, but for the glory of the kingdom of God. Only Jesus, only Jesus, he's the only person in history ever has disarmed the powers of evil. He has made a pub public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Only Jesus can accomplish that. Billy Graham said this, yes, Satan is real, but so is Christ. And someday Satan will be defeated and Christ will rule forever. Don't be deceived, but open your heart and mind to Jesus Christ and put your life into his hands. That's what Billy Graham said. See, when the going gets tough, when the going gets tough, who are you going to turn to? This father, this man who had a son who was demon-possessed, turned to the only one who could answer that question. And he turns his, his, himself to Jesus. And that's what he did. When the going got tough for this father, he turned to Jesus. Greater is he that is in you. Jesus living you is greater than anything in this world. The question is, is he living in you?
And what we take away from this man is three things. We come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. We kneel. We humble ourselves before Jesus. That's what we need to do. And we cry out to Jesus because he is the only one who has the answer for all of life's problems. Father, we love you so much, and we pray that you will move in our hearts and move in our lives and draw us close to you. Help us to learn from this Father that, that for our kids, for our nation, for our family, for our community, for our church, the only hope we have is when we turn to you, we come to you, we kneel before you, we humble ourselves before you, and we cry out, God, to you. Thank you for being there for us, Father. In Jesus' name name we pray. Amen.